the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Russian troops turn over control of Chernobyl. The reaction of the Russian military and how poorly they've operated. The White House announces the largest ever release of oil from the Strategic Reserve. Today I'm authorized the release of one million barrels per day. Congressional Democrats consider legalizing it. The opportunities for tax dollars to come into, you know, the IRS or come into the world here is so important. This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Friday, April 1st. I'm Mike Scott. More Russian troops on the move. Troops that took over the Chernobyl nuclear power plant last month have transferred control back to Ukraine, according to the International Atomic Energy Agency. In addition to the troops around Chernobyl, multiple convoys of Russian troops in the area have also moved back toward Kremlin-allied Belarus on Ukraine's northern border. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby backs up that information, saying Russian troops are repositioning. On the uh, repositioning, uh, we continue to see indications that uh, that they are moving a small number. I don't have an update for you in terms of what that uh, equates to. I think yesterday we said it was about about 20 percent, maybe a little less. I don't think we would change that estimation much over the last 24 hours. It has not been wholesale by any means, um, or has it been rapid? Kirby says that while Russian troops are on the move, Right now, they are not going home. We don't see any indication that they're going to be sent home. Um, the, the best assessment we have, and it's an assessment at this early stage, is that they're going to be repositioned probably um, into Belarus uh, to be refit and resupplied and used elsewhere in Ukraine. Again, where is that elsewhere? We don't exactly know. All I can tell you is what, what, uh, what uh, we've said now for several days, that it's clear the Russians want to reprioritize their operations in the Donbass area. When asked about the Russian convoys, Kirby had this to say. Uh, I, I don't even know if it still exists at this point. I mean, it's been now so long. They never, never really uh, accomplished their mission. They never really uh, provided a resupply of any value to Russian forces that were uh, uh, assembling around Kiev. Um, never came to uh, never never really came to their aid. Uh, the Ukrainians uh, put a stop to the to that convoy pretty quickly. The Pentagon spokesman believes that the war is going so poorly for Russia that they aren't really gaining any ground in Ukraine. The Russians had um, pretty much even before this this uh, repositioning had basically established defensive positions, and they weren't they were digging in. They weren't making any effort to advance on Kiev. Kirby also noted that generals are saying it's quite clear that Russia's plans were not properly executed. We don't think that they properly planned for logistics and sustainment of a force that size in the field um, under combat conditions. 
clearly they didn't execute. If they did plan for logistics and sustainment, they didn't execute very well. Um, because even before that, you know, w before the convoy became a news story, I mean, we were talking about they were running out of fuel, they were running out of food, they were running out of ammunition. So it's not clear to us whether this convoy was a reaction to problems they were experiencing or that it was them trying to be proactive. doesn't matter. Obviously, didn't get there. Fox News' Brett Baer joined the Hugh Hewitt Show on the Salem Radio Network discussing what he believes that Russian President Vladimir Putin is planning. Well, I think people are right to say that he had this vision of the old Soviet Union. I do think that that was correct, and, and I think that if you just look to a couple of the speeches, he's essentially laid out a blueprint of what he wanted big picture. But I do think that the reaction of the Russian military and how poorly they've operated and this intelligence yesterday that U.S. intel says that, that Putin was not told uh, how poorly he was doing, which is tough to believe in today's day and, war day and age, but... That's what the intel suggests. Bear believes that Putin is eyeing a smaller portion of Ukraine now. I, I, I think that there is a scaled-back vision now. At least that's uh, what we believe, and, and that perhaps the eastern part and the southern part of Ukraine is where Putin's ambition is. I just don't think that Ukraine's going to suddenly negotiate all of that away and be okay with it. And Bear believes that there is a sense that the Biden administration isn't fully behind Ukraine. Well, I think they're trying to say what exactly the U.S. is doing uh, and what we're not doing. And uh, there is a, a bright line there with the Biden administration. Jack Keane, you know, General Jack Keane, yesterday had this really interesting take on Martha's show in which he said, you know, we are not, as an administration and as a country, uh, 100% convincing that we want Ukraine to win. Um, he's saying that, you know, there's a lot of evidence that the administration wants Zelensky to take a deal and has communicated that. When asked about the Pentagon statement that American troops aren't training Ukrainian soldiers in Poland, Bear had this to say. I think the, the Pentagon is trying to say specifically what's going in, how they're getting it in, uh, and what we're not doing. I do think that the interesting thing about the training, when the president said we were training troops in Poland and all of the walk back that they can't say that they're training them. I mean, we had special forces on the ground inside Ukraine training Ukrainians. And yet now it's, it's verboten to speak about training in Poland. It's really interesting. Bear also found it odd that the Pentagon would reveal the cutting edge technology of switchblade drones in combat in Ukraine. I knew we had the technology. Uh, I didn't know that specific drone existed and, and what exactly it did. Uh, and it's interesting that they're rolling those out uh, publicly uh, in, in some place like, like Ukraine. But it's a very effective uh, tool and one that obviously takes the, um, the threat of, of manned aircraft away from you. We're scraping the bottom of the oil barrel. The White House announcing plans for the largest ever release of oil from the U.S. Strategic Reserves on Thursday. The Biden administration says the president is authorizing a release, about an average of one million barrels per day for the next six months. 
resulting in a total release of about 180 million barrels. Today I'm authorized the release of 1 million barrels per day for the next six months. Biden made the announcement while highlighting his plans for trying to make American energy independent. So today I'm laying out a two-part plan, not only to ease the pain that families are feeling right now, but to end this era of dependence and uncertainty and to lay a new foundation for true and lasting American energy independence. And then the president blamed the roots of the high gas prices on COVID-19 and Russian President Vladimir Putin. The problem we're facing with gas prices has two roots. First, the pandemic. When COVID struck, demand for oil plummeted, so production slowed down worldwide. It's because of the strength and the speed of our recovery, demand for oil shot back up much faster than the supply. That's why the cost of gas began to rise last year. The second route is Vladimir Putin. The start of this year, gas was about $3.30 a gallon. Today, it's about average in 420, 422. It's higher in many states. The president also urged oil companies to drill and produce more. To immediately increase the supply of oil. Our prices are rising because of Putin's action. There isn't enough supply. And the bottom line is, if we want lower gas prices, we need to have more oil supply right now. And while he did so, he also criticized industry profits. For U.S. oil companies that are recording their largest profits in years, they have a choice. One, they can put those profits to productive use by producing more oils, restarting idle wells, or producing on the sites they already are leasing, giving the American people a break by passing some of the savings on to their customers and lowering the price of the pump. Or they can, as some of them are doing, exploit the situation, sit back, ship those profits to the investors, and while American families struggle to make ends meet. The president went on to contend that oil companies are not using their permits to drill for oil on federal lands. Right now, oil and gas industry is sitting on nearly 9,000 unused but approved permits for production on federal lands. Or more than a million unused acres they have a right to, to pump on. Families can't afford that companies sit on these their hands. So, to help execute this first part of my plan, I'm calling for a use-it-or-lose-it policy. Congress should make companies pay fees on wells on federal leases they haven't used in years, and acres of public land they're hoarding without production. Companies that are already producing from these wells won't be affected. Meantime, Democrats around the country are mulling state legislation to provide taxpayers with rebates that would maybe keep their cars filled up. On Thursday, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said she would consider legislation providing rebates on gas purchases as a way to help drivers cope with high prices. Ohio Senator Rob Portman joined the Salem Radio Network to talk about the Biden administration's weakness in regards to domestic energy. He's a different Joe Biden in some respects. He's, he's more progressive. Uh, on policy issues, including energy issues, which is related directly to this crisis, because unless we can provide countries around the world, including countries in Europe uh, who depend on Russian oil and gas, uh, more help in terms of our energy, which we have plenty of, then they will continue to feed the war machine, because the number one receipt that 
Vladimir Putin gets every day is from these countries that buy his oil and gas. Portman contends that American energy independence is a matter of national security. We were spending, as you know, about 15 million bucks a day on average for, for oil from Russia. It was crazy. But they're spending uh, much, much more in countries like Germany. So we need to make that transition. And Joe Biden uh, doesn't seem able to get away from the you know progressive kind of anti-fossil uh, fuel rhetoric from the campaign uh, to be able to actually provide that important energy resource and therefore a national security resource. And Portman believes that the president's position on energy has a lot to do with his bad polling numbers. His poll numbers are, are relatively low. He's looking for support from his base, I, I guess. Um, he should be instead saying, here we are with uh, a war on our hands and the ability to work across the aisle in this instance is, is clear. You know, we've been very bipartisan in how we've approached this. Republicans and Democrats alike want to stand up for Ukraine and freedom and against tyranny and, and what Putin is doing. So it's an opportunity for him and particularly on energy, an opportunity to say, OK, we're, we're for all of the above, including renewables and including nuclear and including hydrogen and, you know, the, the new technologies. Finally, Portman went on to say it would be easier for the U.S. to convince our European allies to decouple from Russian oil if we were there to backfill their energy needs. Right now, there is an absolute imperative that we produce more of our own energy, both for getting gas prices down in America uh, and other energy prices. But also, again, this is directly related to this conflict. If we can tell the Europeans and others, look, we're going to back you up with some of this liquefied natural gas, they are far more likely to stop their dependency and stop sending money to Russia. A judge is ordering New York's Democrat-controlled legislature to redraw the state's congressional and legislative districts after finding they were unconstitutional. Daybreak Insider's Keith Peters has details on the new map drawing. Judge Patrick McAllister said in a Thursday ruling that maps redrawing the state's congressional districts were gerrymandered to benefit Democrats. McAllister, a state trial court judge, said those districts must be redrawn along with the legislative districts in a way that attracted at least some bipartisan support. The judge gave lawmakers until April 11th to try again. If their new maps fail to pass muster in the courts again, the judge said he would order the state to pay for a court-approved expert to redraw the maps. Keith Peters reporting. Could this be the last dance with Mary Jane? The House is set to pass legislation Friday to legalize marijuana nationwide, an effort that has support in both chambers of Congress. The bill is also called the Moore Act and will eliminate criminal penalties for an individual who manufactures, distributes, or possesses marijuana. The bill is likely to pass the House. A similar bill passed in 2020 only for the legislation to stall in the Senate, a process that will likely repeat. Proponents argue that legalizing marijuana at the federal level will simply reflect most states' existing policies that allow for the sale of marijuana in some form. However, many policy experts, cannabis investors, and at least one member of Congress agree. Don't hold your breath on federal legalization happening this year or in the future. Erwin Simon is CEO of Tilray, a cannabis research cultivation, processing, and distribution company, and joined Fox Business to discuss the Moore Act and legalizing marijuana at the federal level. 
Simon is very skeptical the measure will pass through Congress and end up on the president's desk. I think my over-under is, you know, I'm not totally sure if it will get through, but it makes so much sense. Simon contends there is hunger for investment in the cannabis industry. You know, we've traded, you know, mostly in the last couple of weeks, over 100 million shares. Mm. It shows they want to own stocks. Institutions want to own these stocks. Simon actually believes that it is imperative the U.S. federally legalize cannabis because of the many people who are currently in prison for minor drug offenses. You know, there's people sitting in jail today because of cannabis laws that are outdated, and we got to change them. Simon also says it is his opinion that federal legalization would be a rich revenue stream for the U.S. government. And if you look at tax dollars, the opportunities for tax dollars to come into, you know, the IRS or come into the world here is so important. In Canada alone, $18 billion of tax dollars have come in over the last three years. And you think about the reduced gas tax that's happening out there, the reduced, you know, taxes on tobacco. Right. What a great way if they legalize cannabis for an opportunity to pick up all those tax dollars. The worldwide seafood industry is stealing itself for price hikes, supply disruptions, and potential job losses as new rounds of economic sanctions on Russia make key species like cod and crab harder to come by. Daybreak Insider's Jeremy House has more on this story. The latest round of U.S. attempts to punish Russia for the invasion of Ukraine includes bans on imports of seafood and diamonds. According to a 2020 report by the Food and Agriculture Organization of the United Nations, Russia is one of the largest producers of seafood in the world and was the fifth largest producer of wild-caught fish. The impact is likely to be felt globally as well as in places with working waterfronts. One of those is Maine, where, according to federal figures, more than $50 million in seafood products from Russia passed through Portland in 2021. Jeremy House reporting. Is there a ruble recovery? Russia's currency has almost fully recovered its value despite weeks of crippling sanctions from the West over the invasion of Ukraine. The EU-European Commission admitted Thursday there may be a ruble bounce. To the fact that the ruble has uh, regained lost ground. Uh, listen, uh, we do not comment on uh, the evolution of currencies across the world. Um, but if I were you, Lukash, I would look at what it has cost uh, the Russian state to actually prop up its, uh, its currency. Um, it's not as if this was a, a natural phenomenon uh, leading to the ruble uh, regaining lost terrain. This has required massive costs uh, on the side of um, the Russian state, uh, in particular, as you know, by uh, increasing significantly uh, interest rates. And this has um, in itself, obviously, an impact on the economy. This comes as the U.S. announced another round of sanctions targeting multiple Russian tech companies, including Micron. Russia's largest microchip manufacturer. Credit rating agency Moody's earlier this month put Russia on the second lowest rung on the credit ladder, just above default. Part of Russia's advantage is that the ruble isn't really considered a global currency, which creates the space to partially insulate itself against foreign market reactions. However, the Russian economy is forecast to shrink dramatically 
according to new figures from British-based banks. Federal health officials are dropping the warning they have attached to cruising on the high seas since the beginning of the pandemic, leaving it up to vacationers to decide whether they feel safe getting on a ship. Cruise ship operators welcome the announcement, which comes as many people are thinking about summer vacation plans. We get more on this story from Jennifer King. Cruise ship sailings shut down not long after the beginning of the pandemic. And even when they restarted last June, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention listed the activity as a high or very high risk. Now the federal agency is dropping the COVID-19 health warning attached to cruise ship vacations, although it will keep the color-coded system to classify ships based on the percentage of passengers who test positive. The CDC still expressed reservations, but says they'll leave it up to passengers to decide whether they feel safe getting on a ship. Cruise trade groups and operators are welcoming the move saying that tougher restrictions imposed on their industry were unfair. Outbreaks continue to be detected. A Princess cruise returning from the Panama Canal on Sunday had multiple passengers who tested positive, but none showed serious symptoms and everyone had been vaccinated. I'm Jennifer King. And finally, restaurant owner Dirk Astle has taken time off to deliver handmade cards from school kids in his state of Utah to refugee children in Ukraine. Utah's First Lady Abby Cox put out a call to action for kids to offer friendship and encouragement by way of cards and art. This is from Sadie, and she says, I know you're probably having a hard time, but know that you have only one way to go, and that is up. Astle says he was already volunteering to go to Ukraine with a local church group. They need volunteers that can drive vans from the borders into the main cities and get the people into hotels for a night or two and then onto trains out the ultimate destination throughout Western Europe. Then, Astle's friend, who just so happened to be Salt Lake City's Ukrainian consul, asked if he could deliver the cards and letters of encouragement. He actually said that um, the First Lady Abby Cox had this initiative where Utah school children were writing letters to Ukrainian refugee school children, and they'd had a series of ways to deliver it that fell through and he's like could you take them and I crammed all my stuff into a carry-on and I'm checking two bags full of letters from uh, from Utah to Ukraine. Astle is thankful for the opportunity to make a small difference. The biggest message from my friends that are there now is that they're just scared and so having a friend even if they're from Utah that they've never met reach out I think is going to really help the kids and then obviously just getting them to safety is, is a big help so I'm, I'm super excited to feel super blessed to be able to go do it. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider Podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or SalemPodcastNetwork.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com. Thanks for starting your day with us. I'm Mike Scott. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.